And Lord, it's so true that you are more than enough in every aspect of our lives and you're more than enough to give us the peace that surpasses all understanding, to give us joy, to help us understand the true meaning of life. We ask right now as we go to your word, your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. We love you, we praise you, we worship and magnify your most holy name. You are a great and an awesome God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It's really, really good to have you here. I hope if you're uh, new, you feel welcome and loved. If you've been here a long time, you know that you're loved a great deal. So I'm just really glad you're here. It's always good to be with the Lord's people. It's always good in the middle of the week to get a little, uh, little feeding from God's Word, some fellowship, some encouragement. Amen? We need it. All right. Genesis chapter 7, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the Old Testament. I'm going to mention this just because it's heavy on my heart. Be praying for Santa Cruz Bible Church. Uh, they, you know, they, their pastor just left this last weekend, so in the process of looking for a new pastor. Guys, we're all on the same team in Santa Cruz, amen? We all have one goal, one passion, one desire, and that is to see the kingdom of God growing in this county that so desperately needs the Lord. That's our family over there. Let's be praying for them. Amen? God would give them wisdom and bring them the man that God has for them, and that through all of this, God would be glorified. And, and you know what? If you, know, if you have friends who, who go there, call them and let them know we're praying for them. Amen? Be an encouragement to them. Okay, Genesis chapter 7. Now, as we come to tonight's text... One of the most well-known in all the Bible, really, the next several chapters is we're going to look at the flood of Noah. I do think it's important that we go back and kind of understand what brought about the flood of Noah, because I think a lot of people misunderstand, certainly those who misinterpret some of the earlier chapters. As we go back and look, the flood of Noah has been questioned by some as being, you know, that God is too harsh when he does this. Others just doubt that it even happened at all. I had a little conversation with a young man on Sunday who was telling me that he thought the, the flood was just an allegory. It was just a story to teach us something. Uh, guys, the Word of God doesn't just have allegories. It's the Bible. Amen? And it's the living, breathing Word of God. And unless God tells us it's a story or a parable, it's not. And most of the parables are true to life themselves. So very rarely do we see anything in Scripture that isn't true. And certainly the flood of Noah is. But some people have questioned, they look at the flood of Noah and they question, well, one, did it even happen? And two, doesn't it seem harsh that God would do such a thing to wipe out the very people he created to have a relationship with? Well, guys, here's the problem. The reason the flood came about was not because of God, but because of man. It was because man, who God created in his own image and gave him everything he could have possibly ever needed, turned his back on God and rebelled against him. He created the heavens and the earth, and he created it for us, and he created it perfect. He created the, the light, and he separated the light, and he separated the firmament with the, you know, the, he, put, he created space. He created, you know, he divided the waters. He created dry land. He put animals on the land, and then he created this perfect place, and then he created man there, and then he said it was good, it was good, it was good, until he saw that man was alone, and he said it's not good. And then he brought the woman to the man, and they were living and walking in the cool of the day, having intimate fellowship with Almighty God. Everything was perfect. But man was there, so you know it won't remain perfect for long. 
And you know, God is the one who created everything. And God is the one who, out of his love for us, wanted us to walk in that intimate fellowship with him. God has never let us down. We let him down. We walk away. We broke the covenant. He had a covenant with man and a desire to walk in intimate fellowship with man. But man chose instead to go his own way and to rebel against Almighty God. It's been said, if you don't struggle with Genesis 1-1, you won't struggle with the rest of the Bible. In the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God. He did it all. Amen? That wipes out atheism, pantheism, polytheism, materialism, humanism, evolution. Again, I discussed with the same young man on Sunday. He's trying to tell me that evolution and the Bible could coexist. No, they can't. Amen? God didn't create amoebas. He created man in his own image. It takes way more faith to believe that garbage than to believe the word of God. Amen? And you know what? Scientists are wrong and the Bible is right. Sometimes you put a code on somebody and put letters after their name and all of a sudden we think they're an authority. Guys, the word of God is the authority. And so we see here that God had created everything perfect. He is the creator. He's the one that put it all together. He had Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the day. They could just talk to God. There was no sin. There was no death. There was no pain. There was no sorrow. Nothing. Picture of heaven. But in the midst of it, we know that Eve succumbed to temptation and then Adam rebelled against God by knowingly doing the same thing that his wife had just done. And from that point forward, we see that man was separated from God. But here's the point. You see, almost immediately, God already putting together a plan to restore sinful man back to holy God. Right away, when Adam and Eve have their first child, they name him Cain, which means acquired. We have acquired from God a man. Many believe they may have thought he was the one who would be the the one to restore them back to God. I don't know that for sure, but here's the point. They believed that God had sent this man for a purpose. But sadly, we know the story of Cain and Abel. Because once Adam and Eve sinned, when mom and dad blow it, guess what? Family's going to be in trouble. And mom and dad had blown it, and now Cain gets jealous because Abel brings a sacrifice, and Cain kills his brother. Now again, they both brought the fruit of their labor. We know that Cain was a farmer and that Abel was more of a rancher, so he brought a blood sacrifice, which is what God required. And then Cain tried to come to God his own way. He brought the best of his fruits. Now, again, or his vegetables. It doesn't mean that God loves meat more than vegetables, although that wouldn't be so bad. But here's the point. Here's what he, God had a plan because it required a blood sacrifice because that blood sacrifice was pointing to Jesus Christ. And Cain is a picture of one trying to come to God his own way. And after that, God said, okay, Cain, you know what? You've killed your brother and now you're going to be you know, set out. You're going to be a vagabond upon the earth. And from that day forward, he just wandered upon the earth. And we know that through the line of Seth came great wickedness, chapter 4. And as this wickedness came, we know that Seth, the seventh in the line of Seth, was a man by the name of Lamech. And Lamech was a polygamist, the first recorded polygamist in Scripture. God created one man for one woman. You get seven generations down. He's got multiple wives. He then commits murder, brags about it, and says he's going to bring vengeance upon anybody who comes against him. Now, in the midst of all of that, Cain having blown it, Abel, now dead, God raises up another man, a man by the name of Seth. Now the Sethites were those that God was going to bring the priestly line through, that he would bring the Messiah through. through all of, you know, we're all related ultimately now to Seth, because through Seth would come Noah. Now, through the line of Seth, they were gifted by God, called of God. But as we saw last week in chapter 6, in the beginning, it says the children of God... Sons of God married the daughters of men. And they came in together and intermarried. 
And this is the reason why ultimately the flood came. Here's what happened. There were those who were ungodly upon the earth, but there was still a godly line. The seventh in the line of Seth was a man by the name of Enoch. The Bible says that Enoch walked with God and he was not. He was so close to God that God just took him home. A picture of the rapture of the church. He just snatched him away. But we notice then that the Sethites, living in a world surrounded by the, you know, the Canaanites, what happened was they ended up intermarrying with them. Now, some have misunderstood scripture and tried to say that the sons of God were angels or demons that were thrown out of heaven and they had sex with women and you had these half demon, half men walking around, women walking around, half human, and that's why God brought the flood. But you know what? All that does, it starts to blame the flood on the devil when guys, though the devil can tempt you, ultimately the reason for the flood was the sinfulness and the rebellion of man. Amen? Too often we want to blame everything on the enemy. And the enemy can't make you do anything. Do you understand that? We need to understand the enemy exists, but we shouldn't blame everything on him. It's just plain stinking us choosing to sin. Amen? And that's exactly what has happened here. And so now we finally come to this point where, you know, the, the, they're intermarried and they're, they're doing evil continually as we saw last week. They're in this place where their thoughts and their intents are only on evil always. And God looks down from heaven and he sees them and it says he was grieved in his heart that he even created man. And he says from this point forward, he's going to bring judgment. But we saw the grace of God last week as well because he said his days will be numbered 120 years. They're living evil, rebellious, wicked, perverse lives and God gives them 120 more years to repent. And in the midst of all of that, he finds one man by the name of Noah. And Noah becomes the man that God is going to use in a mighty and a powerful way to link us back to Adam. It's through Noah that we're all related. And he comes to Noah and he asks Noah something very difficult. He speaks directly to him. And what's interesting to me is we only have recorded that he spoke to him, it may have been more, that he only spoke to him once. He comes and he speaks to him, and what does he say to him? He tells him, I want you to build a boat. I want you to build an ark. And not just any ark, 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet tall. And here's the tree you're supposed to use, and then you need to cover it with pitch. Now understand something. Can you imagine one guy, and maybe his sons are old enough at some point, to start helping him, but we know this was a 120-year building project. You know, that city of Santa Cruz building commission had nothing to do with it, and it still took 120 years. That goes on the radio. There goes our opportunity to get in. (laughs) Truth hurts. But the point is this, that in in the midst of wickedness, God looked down and saw one faithful man, and God spoke to him, Gave him a clear command, and it was a heavy-duty task. It's going to take you 120 years to build this ark, Noah. You're going to have to be about it. Now, if Noah had taken 150 years, it would have been too long. What if he'd built the ark only to half the specs? Well, I'm going to do it halfway. You know what? Noah obeyed God completely. And as we're going to see in this evening's text, that the ark is a picture of our Savior. Because it's interesting to me that the ark is made of wood. And that Noah, whether he was before or not, became a carpenter who, through the use of wood, created deliverance for sinful man. And Jesus, more than a carpenter, hung on the wood of the cross of Calvary to deliver sinful man. Amen? 
What's interesting also is that word pitch, for pitch. It's kind of an asphalt or tar substance that they put on the, front, on the inside and the outside of the ark to keep it judgment-proof, in a sense, so that the water wouldn't leak in and the ark would sink. That word is kofar in Hebrew, which means covering, which also is interpreted atonement in other places in Scripture. So isn't it interesting that this boat made of wood covered with pitch, the wood and the atoning work of Calvary that delivered us from judgment. You see that picture clearly in the ark. And the other thing about it too is it only had one door. The ark had one door. You know why? Because Jesus is the only way. Amen? There's one way God said to get to heaven and Jesus is the only way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life and no man comes to the Father but by me. This is where we've come to when we get to chapter seven. This ark is being built. Noah's being faithful. He obeyed God when nobody else did. It should be a great encouragement for all of us that you can obey God even if no one else is. Amen? Even if nobody else at work is walking with God, nobody else in your family, nobody else seemingly in our town sometimes. Guys, God has called us to be here. He wants to do great and awesome things through us. And as we've seen in this Old Testament already, there's a very clear picture a very clear picture of our Savior. Noah's name means rest. And isn't it interesting, if you were here when we talked about the genealogy, if you go through the line of Seth and you interpret the meaning of every name, here's what it means. Adam means man, Seth means appointed, Enosh means mortal, Canaan means sorrow, Mahalalel means the blessed God, Jared means shall come down, Enoch means teaching, Methuselah, his death shall bring, Lamech, the despairing, Noah, means rest. So when you go through the line from God's anointed, the one that God would choose through whom God would deliver, it means man appointed moral brought sorrow, but the blessed God shall come down teaching and his death shall bring the despairing rest. Does the Bible rock or what? Don't you love the Old Testament? Here you have the gospel and a genealogy. And that's how, you know what, that's why we read every single word in the Bible. Amen? So we pick up this evening and we're going to look at the, the judgment that is about to come. But in the midst of it, there's going to be one who's going to escape that judgment, Noah. Not just Noah, but his family. So if you're a note taker, I titled the message, Escaping the Flood of Righteous Judgment. Escaping the Flood of Righteous Judgment. And how do we do this? We do it by entering into God's grace. And so the four points, or the five points, excuse me, tonight. Number one, how do we escape the flood of righteous judgment? One, the Lord says, come. Aren't you glad? The Lord says, come. Number two, we respond by faith and enter in. The third thing we're going to see is that God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Then we'll see the Lord seals our faith. And then finally, we escape the flood of righteous judgment and only those who enter in will be saved. So let's begin. I know it's a long introduction, but I think it's important that as we look at this heavy-duty event, 1,600 plus years, we're only in chapter 7, but we've gone 1,600 years since Adam and Eve already. Now think about that. We're only 6,000 years past Adam and Eve. So it's only 4,500 or so years ago that the flood of Noah came. It wasn't that long ago. And we're going to talk about this as we continue to go on through the text. But this is a momentous event. And we need to understand it wasn't because there was half demon, half men walking around. It wasn't because that God was too harsh of a judge. It was because man rebelled against God. And God in his grace looked down and found one who was faithful. And he's still doing the same today. 
looking for those who will be faithful in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. Look what it says here in verse 1, as the Lord says, come. Then the Lord said to Noah, come into the ark. Now the Lord there is, the word is Jehovah, the self-existent, eternal God. And here's what you need to do, understand. If you just read through this, he hasn't spoken to him in 120 years, at least not recorded anywhere in Scripture. Can you imagine if God showed up and gave you, here's what I want you to do, build this boat. It's going to take you 120 years. Here's what it's supposed to look like. Bye. Now, 120 years, he's building the boat and being ridiculed. Talked about this last week. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building a boat. Noah, what's a boat? What's a big thing that floats in water? You know, when, and, and preparing for a, a big flood that's coming. Well, what's a flood, Noah? Well, a flood is when water falls down from the sky. Rain comes from the what, What's rain, Noah? You know, it had never rained. There had never been a flood. And they, you know, nobody's building boats the size three times, you know, two, uh, t- one and a half times the size of a football field. And spending 120 years doing it. And you imagine, during all that time, we know from 1 Peter that he actually was prophesying the gospel, sharing with them that, hey, you guys need to come to God. You guys need to repent. You need to get right. So here's Noah, faithfully, for 120 years, building a boat and telling people they need to get right with God, and nobody listens. Now, 120 years go by. Now, again, maybe he did speak to him. It's not recorded. But the first time recorded in Scripture... The Lord says to Noah, come into the ark. Now, I love this because I love the instruction of come. Guys, God doesn't tell us to go away from him, but come unto him. He says, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. If you're here tonight and you're away from God, or you don't know God, the message he gave to Noah is the message he would give to you. Come unto me. All you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Noah, been faithfully serving God, faithfully honoring the Lord. And I believe he knew the time was about to be up, and here's how I believe. He had prophesied that when Methuselah dies, judgment would come. Methuselah's name means when he dies, judgment. And guess what? Methuselah was just about to die. And as Methuselah was about to die, they knew the judgment was near. And these first words, again, as Methuselah lays on his deathbed, is coming to the ark. And again, he simply says, come. That same invitation that he would offer up to every single one of us tonight. And I love that the ark was finished, but now he needed to enter into it. You know what? He would say, come into the ark. You know what that means? That means the Lord's in the ark with him. Amen? He's not standing far away and say, go into the ark. No, he's saying, come into the ark. I'm with you in the ark. You come in, I'm with you in the midst of the trial. I'm, I'm with you in the midst of the great floods that are coming. Noah, you'll not be alone if you press into me. I will walk with you. I will be with you. I will take you every step of the way. And I love this, again, being a picture of our Savior, because when the ark was finished, it was ready to be entered in. And when Jesus worked upon the cross, he said, it is finished. And now you and I may enter into intimate fellowship with him. The Lord wants nothing more than you and I to have intimate fellowship with him. Guys, you are his treasured possession. He'd rather die than live without you. He's proven it over and over again. And he cries out to you tonight and says, come. 
Then it says here, you and all your household. I love this, that the faithfulness of Noah, though it didn't impact the people around him, though they continued in rebellion. I love that his whole family was saved. And it says there, I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. God saw Noah as righteous. What made Noah righteous? The cross hadn't come. There was no real sacrificial system in place yet, although I believe there are some, and we're going to see that in a moment as we look at the animals being brought on the ark. But why was he righteous? Because he had exercised faith in God's word. God had told him to do something, and he faithfully did it. God said so, that's enough for me. It didn't matter about all the peer pressure around him. It didn't matter that people mocked him or laughed at him. He was so focused on obeying God. And God said, you know what, that's my man. That's my woman today. Those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who trust in his word. Noah obeyed when he didn't fully understand. He had never seen it rain before. He obeyed in the midst of incredible peer pressure, ridiculed all the time. He obeyed though his efforts seemed fruitless. 120 years of evangelism and no converts. He obeyed even without step-by-step instructions. He heard God's command and he obeyed. Noah's faith was not just heard in his words, but seen in his actions. Lord, give us a church like that today. Where we would go beyond just talking about God in our words, but people would see the Lord in our actions. That we would be like Noah in the midst of a perverse and wicked generation. That God would only have to say something to us one time. Amen? He told Noah, no more recorded words for 120 years, and yet Noah obeyed. Lord, give us that kind of faith. And it says, you shall take with you seven each of every clean animal. Now, wait a minute. Didn't you always think it was two by two animals? Read on. A male and his female, two each of the animals that are unclean, a male and his female. So the animals were two by two, the unclean animals. We don't have a description of clean and unclean animals yet. We'll get that later in the Mosaic Law. But God certainly defined it for Noah. And he was to bring seven of the clean animals. A lot of supposition as to why. But I believe at least part of it was to be able to, that they would be able to make sacrifice. Now, it could also be that they would multiply quicker once the flood was over, but so that they would be able to make sacrifice unto the Lord. And so seven of all the clean animals and two of every unclean animal. So for the unclean animals, a pair, and for the clean animals, three pairs and a spare, I guess, right? And then it says here, Also, each of the birds of the air, male and female, to keep the species alive on the face of all the earth. Now, notice... They're to bring all these animals to keep the species alive. What does that tell us? That tells us that the only animals that survived the flood outside of those that that swim in water were on the ark. Now, there's a lot of people today that are saying, oh, the flood was only in a part of the earth. It was a localized flood. Well, first of all, that's just plain stupid. Think about it. If If it was only going to flood in a small area, why do you need a boat? Why don't you just move? And if it was only flooding in part of the area, wouldn't the people just like run to another place? That's not what happened. The entire world was covered in water. God wiped out every human, every animal, and every plant off the face of the earth. Every single one of them. It was only what was in the ark that would survive. And it was because it was God's plan to do so 
It was God bringing righteous judgment upon the rebellion of man. And it says, For after seven days I will cause it to rain on the earth forty days and forty nights, and I will destroy from the face of the earth all living things that I have made. Is that pretty clear or what? Does he say I will destroy some things? In this region over here I'll destroy a few things. It's amazing to me that people will come back and say, well, the flood was in a small area, and they, could, they call themselves Bible scholars. They need to read Genesis 7, verse 4, because off the face of the earth means the face of the earth. Amen? So yes, there was a global flood. And people sometimes will mock us. You really believe that a guy named Noah made a boat and got all the animals on there, and then a big flood came, and they floated around, and then they landed on top of a mountain, and then they came out, and all the stuff grew again, and we're all related to Noah. You really believe that? Yes, I do. Because the Bible says so, amen? Now, when am I in a chippy spirit, which I shouldn't be, and I say, now, you really believe that there was nothing? And then out of nothing, something exploded. I don't know how something exploded when there was nothing, but something exploded. And then by accident, all this stuff randomly just kind of, you know, a puddle came and then lightning hit it and then something crawled out of it and, and then it just started to grow arms and fly around and now it's you? Did you believe that? What takes more faith to believe that Almighty God got a bunch of animals on a boat or to believe that noise? Amen? It takes a lot more faith to believe that, doesn't it? God created the heavens and the earth. He put the stars in the sky and get some animals on a boat. Amen? Not a problem for Almighty God. These are only big things if your God is small. Our God is great. Getting the animals on the boat, no problem for God. I got no problem with that. He says in his word, I believe it. That's enough. Now, notice that he gives seven more days. Now, some believe that was a time of mourning after Methuselah's death. Others believe maybe it was to get the animals settled before the rains came. Others believe maybe one last opportunity because now they go into the ark and we're about to see, he's going to shut them into the ark. And the people that were walking by every day, maybe, and mocking Noah, would come by and see that door that had been opened for 120 years, or however long it had been built, finished. Walking by, now it's shut. And where's Noah? Here's one last opportunity. Seven days for those people, right before the righteous judgment of God would come down upon them to get right with him. Isn't it interesting that we're, we're going to undergo it? We won't. We'll be gone. There will be a seven-year tribulation period. That one last opportunity before people to get right with God before he comes back with righteous judgment after he's raptured away the church. Again, you look at the Bible, it all fits perfectly together. God assured Noah at the end of seven days, this judgment would come. A tremendous rain would pummel the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. 40 in scripture is the number of what? Testing or trials, right? I mean, you see the number 40 in scripture, that's what you think of. How many, you know, how many days was Moses up on Mount Sinai? 40. How many days did Goliath come down and challenge the children of Israel to come out and fight against him before David finally went out? 40. How many years did they wander in the wilderness? Forty. How, how many days was Jesus in the wilderness being tempted? Forty. So forty, commonly a number of testing or a trial in Scripture. And certainly that's what we see happening here. 
The rain is going to come for 40 days and 40 nights. This storm like nothing anybody had ever seen before. It had never rained before this rain would come. And guys, if you were here when we were looking at, and we'll talk about this more as we move on, as we were looking at creation, you need to know that there was a water canopy around the entire earth at the time. And that water canopy, people were living to be 900 plus years old, right? And the reason was that this water canopy made this like a, the perfect greenhouse. The earth was, there was no solar cap, there was probably no wind, or very little wind. And so the, the temperature was perfect, there was no radiation, there was no UV rays coming. People lived a long time. But you know what? When the flood comes, we're about to see the water's going to come up out of the ground, and it's also going to come down on that water canopy, and in 40 days the entire world is going to be covered in water. And it says there again, every living creature, all living things that I have made. And the word there in the original language means all in existence, all that grows, all human, all animal, and all plant life. So escaping the flood of judgment, how do we do that? By entering into God's grace. The first thing is, he says come. He said to Noah come, and Noah came. You know what though? I believe he was saying come to every man, woman, and child upon the earth at the same time. And as he offered salvation universally, it must be accepted individually. And sadly, most turned their back and walked away and rejected. And sadly, only eight would come through the flood. So point number two, escaping the flood of righteous judgment by entering God's grace, we respond by faith and enter in. Look at verse five. It says, and Noah did according to all that the Lord commanded him. God said it, Noah did it. Are we surprised at this point that Noah would enter in? I think we'd be shocked if he didn't. He spent 120 years obeying God. Amen? And now God says, come. Okay, yes, Lord. Guys, you know what? I pray that we would have such godly character that people would be surprised when we sin, not when we act godly. Amen? Here's Noah, been walking with God for 120 years. We're not surprised when God says, come. Yes, Lord. For 120 years, he's been faithful. He will be faithful again. Noah is going to obey God and will be delivered through his obedience. Examples throughout Scripture, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Esther, Abraham, Moses. These are all those who in the midst of great persecution, in the midst of great trials and difficulty, when seemingly no one else would obey God, they did, and God delivered them, and they were glorified, and God was glorified. They were delivered from their trial, and God was glorified through it. He more than built an ark. He entered into it, leaving the world he had known and trusting in God's mercy. Can you imagine what those seven days could have even been like? We don't know the disposition of his wife and his kids. You're in an ark for seven days with a bunch of animals. There's no rain yet. It didn't rain yet. It's never rained before. You know, you already thought your dad was out of his mind for 120 years of building a boat. What are you doing? Now, obviously, God had gotten a hold of their hearts. They'd seen it in their dad. But those seven days could have been a trial. And they're getting those animals settled, I can't even imagine. And in the midst of all of it, they trusted God. Verse 6 through 9. Noah was 600 years old when the floodwaters were on the earth. So Noah with his sons, his wife, and his sons' wives went into the ark because of the waters of the flood. Of clean animals, of animals that are unclean, of birds and everything that creeps on the earth. Two by two they went into the ark to Noah, male and female, as God had commanded Noah. So the flood had not yet begun. The entrance into Noah's 
you know, cut Noah's family off from the outside world, notice again who brought the animals. Who brought the animals? God did. Noah did not have to be, you know, the alligator hunter or whatever, right? He didn't have to go out and mark off, you know, got the, can imagine having the chart on the wall. Okay, I got a male monkey, you got to get a female, you know, and talking to the boys and go out and get, a, you know, who's getting the skunks or whatever. And can you imagine all that? And praise God that he built the ark and then God brought the animals. Guys, God doesn't send us out to fail. He doesn't leave us alone in the midst of it. We obey and God will take care of it, amen? We obey, God will take care of it. No obeyed the word of God to a T. He didn't seek to do things his way. He didn't try to take shortcuts. And so too, if we are to enter into God's grace, we come according to what he commands, not what we want. The Bible says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. Guys, we don't come to God our way. We don't tell God how we're going to do it. Noah didn't say to God, okay, Lord, this is the way I will come to you. He said, God said, come, and he obeyed. God said, do this, he obeyed. Bring these animals, yes, Lord. 120, yes, absolutely, to the specifications you've asked. I'm going I'm to follow after you. Where else would I go? Who else would I turn to? This is why Noah was a man that God could use. The Lord says, come. We respond by faith, repenting for our sin, confessing him as Savior and Lord, and by grace, we enter in, and it's such a blessing to see that Noah entered in with his family. You know, the Bible says, I know no greater joy than know my children walk in the truth. Amen? And while I want to see people saved, I have to openly confess to you that I'm far more concerned about my children's walk with God than anyone else's. I want to see everyone saved. I'm burdened for every lost person on the planet, but I'm far more concerned about my own kids because that's the heart of a father. And you know what? Noah, while everyone else turned away, he was faithful and God blessed his children and his children entered in with him. So escaping the flood of righteous judgment by entering into God's grace. The Lord says, come, we respond by faith and enter in. And now we're going to see that God does suffer long, but he won't suffer always. Look at verse 10. And it came to pass after seven days that the waters of the flood were on the earth. Now, the Lord had said it would be seven days, and how many days was it? Seven days. Guys, if God says it, that's enough. Amen? He says it one time. He doesn't even have to say it, and it can be true because he's God. But if he says it once, it's absolutely true. Other people argue with me, well, that's only in the Bible like three or four times. I'm like, how many times do you need it to be in there? Well, if, I mean, if it's under 50 or 60, I'd really believe it. It only needs to be in there one time, amen? And God gave clear commands to Noah. Noah obeyed the Lord, and, and God said, you know what, 1,650 years after creation, 120 years after he had warned him, seven days later, just as he said, at the very moment God said it would happen, the waters, the flood waters were on the earth. Guys, God has appointed for man once to live and then to die and then the judgment. Your days were numbered before the foundation of the world. The day that our Savior is going to snatch us away and when we're going to return with him was already set by almighty god before he created the heavens and the earth guys god's right on time amen sometimes we look and we think why hasn't he come sooner this world is so wicked lord why don't you come down and smoke these people aren't you glad he doesn't because we'd be one of them amen but here's the point he waits because of grace he waits because he's waiting for one more person to be saved Aren't you glad he waited till you were saved? God of love and grace and mercy 
And here, his timing is exact. His timing is perfect. He's God. He knows what he's doing. And he says there, seven days later, just as he said, it comes right on time. But notice, too, God's judgment can't be avoided. Noah's family had to enter in and wait upon the Lord before the rain fell. But judgment would not be escaped by those outside of the ark, those who had not entered in to his rest. Verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the 17th day of the month. Is that pretty specific or? Okay, the Bible. On that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up. And the windows of heaven were opened. And rain was on the earth 40 days and 40 nights. Now, waters were broken up. There were springs from under the ground. The crust was opened up and the water sprang out like a volcano. So water was, and I believe that's how, as the water sprung up from the earth, it shot up into the atmosphere that broke open the water canopy and it fell from the top down. And you know what? God can do it any way he wants. He's God and he doesn't have to explain it to me. Amen? But you know what? Here you, you see that God doesn't work contrary to science. He is omniscience, right? He is God. He is perfect. He created science. He created the scientist. Amen? So we're, he is the one that we trust in. And we see here that in his perfect timing, exactly what he said would happen, and the water shoots from Can you imagine the people that are eating and drinking and being merry? It says in the days of Noah, they're just out there partying, and oh, life's never going to end. Oh, it's no big deal. And all of a sudden, the, the ground starts cracking open, and, and water is firing out of the ground. All of a sudden, it hits the, hits the sky, and the water canopy opens up, and water comes you know, flying down out of the sky. They've never seen this before. Water's coming up out of the ground and coming in. And no doubt some of them must have thought about the ark. What do you think? Uh, water starts rising. We're going to need something to float. Wait a minute. Oh, there's a big boat. Now, I don't know for sure. because I imagine there's some people pounding on the door. I don't know. But you know what? God's judgment is coming. And God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And those who rejected the, the gift of salvation, rejected entering into his rest over and over and over, were now reaping the consequences of their sin. The earth's crust broke open first. These volcanic explosions come out of the ground. I mean, just huge sprays of water, gas, and air all penetrating that canopy, triggering this huge downpour. And then it says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. And as we talked about before, that number of testing. So escaping the flood of righteous judgment by entering into God's grace. The Lord says, come. We respond by faith and enter in. Know that God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Remember that God's grace is not God's permission to sin. I know you've heard me say that a hundred times. Let me say it again. Sometimes we walk in sin. We think judgment hasn't come. It must be okay. God's grace is not God's permission to sin. God's grace and him waiting for that last person to be saved doesn't mean it's okay for people just to live outside of his will. He wants to draw men unto himself. Now notice what happens when we do respond by faith and enter in. The Lord seals our faith. Look at verse 13. On the very same day, Noah and Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. We'll be talking more about them in coming chapters. And Noah's wife and the three wives of his sons with them entered the ark. They and every beast after its kind. All the cattle after their kind. Every creeping thing that creeps on the earth after its kind. And every bird after its kind, every kind, every bird of every sort. And they went into the ark of Noah, two by two, of all flesh, in which there is breath 
of life. So Noah and his family all entered the ark on the same day. They all came in together. God brought two of every species to Noah on the ark. Noah obeyed, built the ark. He entered into it. God brought the animals to Noah. Now look at verse 16. So these that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded them. Now look at this. And the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut the door of the ark. How did he do that? He's God, any way he wants to. Amen? But the Lord shut the door. Can you imagine they get into the ark, all the animals are there, this huge door, who maybe it's so huge they don't have the ability to shut it themselves. I don't know. But they're inside the ark, and God opens, just shuts it for them. He closes it. And I thought, you know, it made me think of how in Scripture the Bible tells us that when we enter into his rest, when we've been born again, he seals us. He seals us. It says in Ephesians 1, our riches in Christ, we've been blessed, chosen, adopted, accepted, redeemed, forgiven, enlightened, assured, and sealed. How does he seal us? He seals us with the Holy Spirit. He gives us a down payment on heaven. The Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. Ownership papers that we belong to him. We've been sealed. We've been stamped. We're his. Here, they've entered into the ark. They've entered into his rest. The wood covered in pitch. Picture of atonement. They enter in and the Lord seals them up to protect them. He seals them up that they would be delivered through the judgment to come. He has given us the Holy Spirit as our assurance that we will be delivered from the judgment to come. Amen? And he has sealed them up. The Lord shut him in. And this is, a, again, that final assurance to the occupants that they were in the will of God and under his protection. This ark, this type of Christ, delivered man from his sin and his consequences, endures the, the batterings of the flood, and then seals them in and protects them from that judgment that will be all around them. Finally, escaping the flood of righteous judgment. We escape the flood of righteous judgment only those who enter in will be saved. Salvation is not universal. I'm actually very troubled by things I see sometimes from pastors. A guy that I'm very familiar with, a guy that I would consider a friend, has just recently tried to tell me that he now believes nobody's going to hell. That all people are going to be saved in the end. It's just a matter of which heaven we get to. I go, dude, that's Mormon doctrine pretty much. And here's the point. When we start getting away from judgment, we start trying to say, well, God, a loving God would never judge man. Guys, we need to get back to what we see in the flood of Noah. It is sinful man's rebellion rejecting the grace of God. It is his desire that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? He would, he would that none of us would perish. I know I'm going to get some people upset. You know that I love you guys, but this is why I'm not a Calvinist. Calvinism would teach that God's atonement is limited only for son. But the Bible says he desires that none should perish, no, not one. Amen? For God so loved not the elect, but the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God's desire is that every man would come to repentance, but he will never force his salvation on anyone. Only those who enter into his rest will be saved. Only those who come repenting and broken will truly be born again and spend eternity with Almighty God. That's the final point we're coming to here. We escape the flood of righteous judgment, only though when we enter in. Look what it says in verse 17. Now the flood was on the earth 40 days. The waters increased and lifted up the ark, and it rose high above the earth. The waters prevailed and greatly increased on the earth, and the ark moved about on the surface of the waters. 
and the waters prevailed exceedingly on the earth, and all the high hills under the whole heaven were covered. Guys, the water was high enough that 17,000 foot high Mount Ararat, along with every other mountain peak, was covered with water. Because we know that's where the ark came to rest, as we'll see. Now, that's a lot of water. That's a lot of rain. Amen? But God, again, is the one who, who brought about the flood, and only those in the ark were saved. I mentioned this last week, but I thought it was very interesting. They had mysteries of the Bible. I saw this many years ago, and they created a, a small version of the ark using the measurements in Scripture. And then they put in a wave tank and put the equivalent of 100, 150 foot high waves trying to flip the ark over and they couldn't get it to flip. Isn't it great how our God is the greatest, you know, boat maker of all time? Amen? It wasn't built for speed. It didn't have any sails or anything. But you know what? It could stay afloat and it would keep from turning over and that was God's plan. And you know what? In the midst of all that, all this rain has come. The water is building up and in all of it, they're resting in him in the midst of the greatest storm in the history of humankind. The most striking figure that we see of the destruction of the old life as this flood comes and it wipes out everything that was on the earth, everything that's wicked and vile. Many people believe, and I, myself included, this kind of is a real picture of water baptism because when we're baptized, we die to that person we used to be. Now, we already have done that at salvation. But this is an outward statement of an inward change, Right? That's why we baptize in the way of you know, death, burial, and resurrection. We've died to the person we used to be, and now we're new creations in Christ. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. It's an outward statement of an inward change. By the way, if you haven't been baptized, on Easter Sunday, we're having our sunrise service at 6 a.m. as we do every year, and we will be baptizing people in the ocean right after the service. He hung on a cross for us. We can go in some cold water for him. Amen? And so we see here that this baptism in a sense that those who have entered into his rest are delivered through it, but the rest of the world is being cleansed. The highest mountains were more than 20 feet underwater so the ark could flow freely above the peaks. Think about that. It had to be far enough above so that the ark itself could float above them. So the water was extremely high. The waters prevailed, it says in verse 20, 15 cubits. Again, 22 and a half feet upward, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds and cattle and beasts and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth and every man. Does the word every in there enough times? Every creeping thing, every man. The people say, well, there's some people that survived through the flood. They made this travesty of a movie called Noah's Ark some years back on ABC. The biggest disaster. They're on the ark and some little guy comes paddling up to them in this little boat. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. This is what happens when you get away from the word of God. There were no other boats. There were no other people. There were no other animals. Every one of them. Now, the fish that swam in the oceans, obviously some of them were surviving. He talks about the breath of life. Notice it says everything that has the breath of life. Fish don't breathe air. Amen? So they survive. People have asked that question. Well, pastor, what about the fish? Well, it says those are with breath of life. So the fish survived. And you know how we know? And I love this, by the way. They find fish fossils on the top of mountains. Don't you love that? They're going, how did this fish get 17,000 feet in the air? Let me tell you how. There was a flood. And the entire world was covered with water. Oh, no, I can't believe that. Oh, but you believe nothing. Turned into, no, right? The point is, 
that archaeologically, the flood is proven to be true. Historically, do you know there are over 40 different people groups that have stories of the great flood? Even though they don't get it all right, they thought that their gods were fighting or something. That's not what happened. But the point is, even historically, people point back to this great flood. And guys, if you don't believe in the flood, next time it rains, look up in the sky, and what are you going to see? A rainbow. And guess who put that there? God did, as we're going to see next week, to, to tell them that he would never flood the earth again. The chief evidence for evolution is a geological record of supposed billions of years of earth history documented by fossils entombed in the sedimentary rocks of the earth crust. And, and again, there's no room in their framework for interpretation of a worldwide flood. But you know what happened? I love this. When Mount St. Helens happened, many of you probably know this. When Mount St. Helens happened, do you know it produced a smaller version of the Grand Canyon with the same sedimentary layers in a couple of days? And all the scientists were like, wow, that, wow, that's amazing. And, you know, if they were to look at it, they'd say, oh, this was, this was the crustacean period, and this was this period, and this was the, this, here's an ice age right here, or this happened last week. We're not really sure which. But here's the point. <laughs> the point I'm making is this, that the word of God is the authority, amen? And I don't care, you know, if somebody's going to go out to college and your teacher's going to tell you things, they're wrong. Word of God's Right? The fact that the flood is a pivotal issue in the entire conflict between Christianity and evolution, it's so important, guys, that we know this book of Genesis and that we believe what it says. If you struggle with the creation, you struggle with the Bible and you struggle with the God of the Bible. If you struggle with Noah's flood, you, what about, if you don't believe the, in Noah's flood or, or Jonah being swallowed by a well, what about the resurrection of Jesus Christ? They're all in God's word and they're all 100 percent true amen and all flesh died verse 21 that moved on the earth every man all those whose nostrils was to breathe the spirit of life all that was on dry land died again all those that breathed air died verse 23 so he destroyed all living things which were on the face of the ground both man and cattle creeping thing and bird of the air they were destroyed from the earth only noah and those who were with him in the ark remained alive boy i mean could it be any clearer I guarantee you before, you know, long, you're going to hear someone talk about other people that survived the flood. You need to read, they need to read chapter 7. Didn't happen. Last verse. And the waters prevailed on the earth 150 days. So God's judgment was complete. Only those who entered into the ark, entered into his rest, entered into that wooden boat covered in pitch, Again, a picture of the atoning work of the cross. Only those who entered in were delivered from the righteous judgment to come. Warnings came, people disregarded it. God reached out to them, used Noah to tell them the truth, to draw them unto himself. They rejected it. He had the door open. They could have come in. He said, come to all of them. Only eight came. Guys, we need to not be worried about what everyone else is doing, and we need to be those who hear the voice of the Lord and respond in faithful obedience to him. Amen? Instead of taking a popularity contest and voting on what's popular and what's right, I would never be a good politician. Most of you wouldn't be either. Because you know what? I don't really care what most people think. What does the Bible say? Amen? And that's not very politically correct, is it? But what does the Bible say? What does the Word of God say? That's what matters. We get to chapter 8, we're going to see... It took two and a half months before the water receded to reveal other mountain peaks. Four and a half months before the dove could 
find any dry land. Almost eight months before, after the flood was over, that they could leave the ark. Another flood of God's judgment is coming. This judgment came. Only those who entered in escaped the judgment. There's another judgment coming. Only those who enter into the rest that comes through Jesus Christ, our Savior. He's the only door into the rest. Amen? He's the only one that can bring salvation. Maybe you're here tonight. You're invited by a friend. Maybe you've been coming for a while. and You've never given your life to the Lord. Don't leave here thinking the judgment will never come. He suffers long, but he won't suffer always. Amen? He loves you, and he says to every one of us tonight, come. For some of us who've walked away, he says, come home. Amen? You can take a million steps away from God. It's truly only one step back. Aren't you glad that our God's in control? Aren't you glad that he's faithful? Aren't you glad that he's a God of incredible love and grace and mercy? Aren't you glad that he loves you so much he'd rather die than live without you? So in closing, escaping the flood of righteous judgment by entering into God's grace. The Lord says, come. We respond by faith and enter in. God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. The Lord seals our faith for you and I today. That's with the Holy Spirit. And we escape the flood of righteous judgment. Only those who enter in will be saved. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you. And Lord, we just see how you are so perfect in everything you do. And Lord, your timing was perfect in the great flood. Your timing was perfect as you waited upon man. Lord, as you gave them every opportunity, as you exhibited grace. Lord, I pray for us right now that as we so desperately say, come quickly, Lord Jesus, at the same time, I pray that like when you came to speak to Noah, you found him busy about your work. And Lord, I pray that when you return for us, you'll find us busy about your work. Lord, that we will be faithful even when it seems like no one else is. The Lord... Our focus, our passion will be upon you. Lord, that one day we will stand before your throne. One day we will see you face to face and nothing else is going to matter. And Lord, give us a burden for those around us who are lost. Help us to have the same heart that Noah had as he evangelized for 120 years, even even though not one person entered into your rest. Lord, I pray that we would have that same heart and burden for the lost, that we would not stop sharing our faith We would not base it on the results, but Lord, we would just respond in obedience to the calling you've placed upon our lives to go into all the world and preach the gospel. Lord, we love you and we praise you. We continue to lift up Santa Cruz County to you, Lord. Bring revival here, start in our hearts first. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.